I'm reading from Acts this morning, 4, 5 through 12. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to, the, to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. This is the word of God. Please join me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this time together to study your word. to think about the early church and just the excitement, the empowerment that was so prevalent, that, that characterized the church. Lord God, I, I pray that living stones would start to and would would gain in, in these characteristics as a body of believers and that this would permeate and spread throughout this town and this valley, this state, this country, and this world. Lord, for we truly, desperately pray that your spirit would be poured out upon us, that you would fill us, Lord God, and that our hearts and our lives and the words that we say would boldly and with great confidence proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, we desire to see your church come alive. Lord, teach us this morning from your word. Change our hearts. Challenge us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you don't have your Bibles open this morning, we really encourage you to open them up to Acts. And hopefully you read ahead. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome, welcome, welcome. Really glad you're here. We know we got Winterfest going on, a lot of people in town. And so we're super glad to have you with us this morning and all that is going on and the excitement. Um, Clarissa and some of the kids were over at the Methodist Church yesterday helping to do crafts. Thank you all so much for doing that. Um, it's, again, just another piece of Livingstone getting more involved in the community, what's going on in the community. Um, so thank you so much for doing that, for being out there, and for putting Livingstone Church on, on display. Acts chapter 3. We're going to be re- going through Acts chapters 3 and 4 today. Um, it's an exciting... <laughs> not much in Acts isn't exciting, okay? We're, we're going to use that word every week. This is really just a fun passage of Scripture where we see Peter and John um, embarking on this first outing, if you will, as they go out, um, starting in the temple and then moving outwards. We're going to see two different movements take place within the Scripture. I want to give you these up front. So as we're going through this passage, you'll see these. The first is we're going to see a movement outward. Okay? We see what Jesus said. Jesus said, You're going to take the gospel, the truth of who he is, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the religious structure of the day was surrounding the temple. 
you, you came to the temple to offer sacrifices. You came to the temple to pray. You came to the temple to be taught, to hear religious leaders speak and discuss. The temple was the central iconic place where people would come and discover who God was and who God is. And, and, and so, but we're going to see a movement starting in chapter 3 going into chapter 4 that decentralizes this understanding. We go here to understand who God is. We go here to pray. We go here to learn. Rather, we're going to see this begin to move away from the temple into the world. And it's going to start subtly here in chapter 3 and 4, but we're going to see this movement begin as God begins to take his message through his people into the world. The other thing we're going to start to see here is a growing riff between religion and religiosity and relationship. For a lot of part about it, there's been, a, and especially during this time frame, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the religious leaders of this day are all about the religiosity of the Jewish faith, the law. And, and abiding by their rules. And it's all about this where Peter and John and the disciples and apostles are going to begin to teach them. It's not about religiosity. It's not about obeying the rules. Rather, it's about a relationship with God found in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this transition and this change throughout this text. So hopefully as we dive in, you're going to see this this morning. So we're beginning in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And we see this first portion, verses 1 through 10. They're going to be dealing with, let me see if we're going to work here. We're going to be dealing with, specifically, these first ten verses, about a spirit-empowered healing that is going to take place. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And I don't want to miss this, because sometimes when we can gloss over things in the text, we go, oh, this is just a, just, they're just telling them where it's taking place, what time it's taking place. But remember, last week we established this pattern, and I said we're going to see in the book of Acts. Prayer. God's people being brought together to pray. The Holy Spirit moves. Lives are being changed. The gospel goes forth, and the church becomes alive. Amen? Well, right here, right at the beginning, what is the time of which they're going to the temple? The time of the hour of prayer. Now, what would the Jews have been going to the temple to pray for? They would have been going to the temple to pray for the Messiah to come. Ironically, the Messiah just came. You missed him. And Peter and John are going to address that. They're going to be talking about being set free. Because they're underneath the bondage of the Roman government. But what they don't understand is they need to be set free spiritually. They're going to talk about being renewed and rescued and redeemed, being God's redeemed people. These prayers are going on as Peter and John are coming to the temple to pray. And you've got this individual who's been lame since birth. And later we're going to read on in this text that he's been lame for over 40 years. And he's gathered by the beautiful gate here in the temple. And he's sitting there and he's crying out for what he, he thinks he needs, what he knows to, that he needs. And that is money to survive. He's lame. He can't work. He can't go into the fields. He can't help build construction projects. He can't do other things. He is unable to earn an income, so he's standing by the gates and begging for money so that he might survive. Peter and John see this individual. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. As did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. That gentleman went that day to the temple to receive alms, to receive money, silver and gold, so that he might survive. But instead of receiving silver or gold, monetary things, he receives the ability to walk again. 
as I looked at this story and thought about it, you know, I, there's two different ways to, pers- to see this and see us in this story. One of us is we are that individual that is sitting there by the way with our hands outstretched towards God saying, God, I need this from you today. I need this from you. And God so graciously and mercifully by the power of his Holy Spirit gives us exactly what we need. And oftentimes it's not what we think we need. But I also look at this passage and I see the church is supposed to be Peter and John here as well. That we're supposed to be a people that sees the hurting, that sees the broken, and comes alongside of them and gives them what they truly need. I am so convicted in my own heart in this so many times in that it's so much easier to reach in and grab some change out of my change thing in the car or grab a dollar out of my wallet and just give it to someone versus entering into relationship with people who are broken. What's amazing that takes place out of this healing Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and, he le- and leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I'm going to be really kind of honest with you a little bit here, and, and you may think kind of weird to me after I share this with you. There, there is something that makes me uncomfortable in texts that deal with healing in today's society, in today's world, thinking about what's going on here. Because I often wonder, Lord, you know, God, I would love to see, man, people being healed like that and, and the spirit moving in this day and age like it was back then. Anybody else just like, I, Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think about that. And I know that during this time, God was establishing his church, and God was validating that Jesus Christ had come, and he had given Jesus Christ all authority over spiritual things, over physically things, over physical things, ailments, and those kind of things. And we see that the Spirit moving powerfully through Peter and John. But we're going to see in this text, Peter and John immediately give credit to whom? Jesus. And I know God can still choose to heal today. And I know sometimes we're scared to pray for that. And I think that we should pray as God leads us to pray. Like if God's leading us to pray for the physical healing of someone, then we pray for that. And if if God chooses to heal, he heals. And I'm going to leave Dwight to to work with you on a sermon. He's got one in in, in Acts chapter 14 that's going to be like cat on the hot tin roof, that whole statement like, that individual had enough faith for him to be healed. Hey, Dwight's going to deal with that. You can address that question to him when he gets there. I'm going to be on sabbatical at that time. Okay, you know. It is a tough one, but it's, to think about healing and to think about these things taking place, but God can choose to heal today through his power, through his work, through his might. But I want us to understand something when it comes to healing. There is just as much glory available when God chooses not to heal. And I don't know if we stop to think about that. Sometimes healing can be the exact worst thing that that person would absolutely need. And that's hard to wrestle with. And that's hard to think about. I've shared with you before, my sister at the age of 32, God chose not to to heal her here on this earth, and she went home to be with Jesus at the age of 32 from cancer. And that was hard. But God received incredible glory through her struggle, through her trial, and she is now with Jesus, experiencing the greatest life that she can ever have. I look at healing in this text, and I begin to think about, and I wrestle with, why can't you... Yes, God can still heal today, and I'm not putting God in a box. 
But I want us to consider that when God chooses not to physically heal at this time, that his glory is still being poured out as his will is being accomplished in the life of that person and in us. And in us. Because what's very important for us to understand is what God is doing is in your life is important for me and others. Because we're a body of believers. I also want to challenge you with this. There are people out there right now claiming to heal in the name of God. And I want to address this very briefly. Spirit-empowered healing, healing that comes from God, always presents itself for a gospel explanation. It always points us to Jesus Christ, his power, his ability, not a man's, not a woman's, but God's. And so we need to look at things and we need to be discerning in this world that when we see healings and these things taking place, we need to understand, is God's name being glorified? Is God's name being praised? Is Jesus being lifted up as the healer in this situation? Because if he's not, then that's that false prophet stuff that the Bible talks about. And that's some scary stuff. And if it's not of God, it's of the devil. There's there's two choices there. So be discerning, church. Be discerning as a body of believers when it comes to healing, when it comes to these things in today's day and age, that the evil one is at work. And he's a deceiver. So my number one thing for you out of this is don't be afraid to pray for healing for people. But understand that if God chooses not to heal, his glory is still being accomplished and his work is still being done. And as hard as that is. And it will cause grief and we will weep and we will shed tears together. But we believe in a God who is able, who is sovereign and who is holy and he is bringing all things to fulfillment in this age. Because this, brothers and sisters, is not home. Because even if God chooses to physically heal here, we're all going to die. Unless Jesus comes back and takes us home. This is not our home. We look for, we talk about it in the creed every week, for the resurrection of the dead and the life to come. That's our future glory that awaits us. Amen. And that's exactly what happens here, that when this healing takes place, it provides an opportunity for the gospel. Peter and John there at the temple, and I love the language here. This is great. Um, Humor in scripture abounds. And if you you miss this, I'm going to help show it to you this morning. It says in verse 11, while he clung to Peter. I mean, I can only imagine, like, Curtis, like, up here on my leg, like, hanging on to me while I'm trying to preach a sermon. Fix your seat, Curtis. Sit down. I I mean, come on. (laughs) I know you would. I know you would. (laughs) I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that's going on here. This guy is so excited. But you know what Peter's going to do? Peter's going to say, hey, buddy, this isn't about me. This isn't about what John and I just did for you. This is about Jesus. He goes on to say here, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though... By our own power or piety, we have made him walk. This isn't of us. This is of God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And when he decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses and by his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you now see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all Jesus is the one that is responsible for this healing and, and before we, we stand in judgment over the religious leaders and the people that were gathered in the temple that day that just a little short time ago was screaming for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, before we take and we say, oh, those guys were such horrible people, I can't believe they did that. Brothers and sisters, we were there. 
If we'd have been there in the crowds, we'd have been screaming the same things. Crucify him. Peter boldly proclaims the gospel. He says, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that that his Christ would suffer. He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back to that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter and John use this wonderful opportunity of people's wonder and amazement at the healing of a man to proclaim the gospel so that others might be healed that day. And healed in the sense that their sins might be forgiven, that they might repent of their sins and turn towards Christ and have life and freedom in him. The gospel is proclaimed because a man was healed. We see this wonderful gospel that is being proclaimed by Peter and John. And when the gospel is proclaimed, there is a response that is given. You can't help it. When God's, the gospel, and we've talked about what is the gospel. The gospel is God himself, he came to rescue and renew all of creation through the work of Jesus Christ. When we proclaim that, when we speak that, when we live that, when we share that with those around us, it demands a response. There's either I believe or I don't believe. But there's no middle ground. There's no fine line to walk like, you know, I'll choose to believe later on or when God shows enough of himself. Listen, if you don't believe, then you're in unbelief this morning. And some of us are playing patty cake with God. We think that, well, I, I, I like to have God around when, when it's useful for me or when, when I'm in need of something. So I'll pray to him and I'll offer, hey, big guy in the sky, I know you're around. Would you save me from the situation that I've gotten myself into? But you have not given your life over to Jesus Christ. Peter and John are telling them and they understand what he's saying. Like, God wants all of you. Surrender your whole life to him. Let him be your Lord. Let him be your king. Let him be your God. Surrender to God. And in your surrender to God, no healing. No health. No hope like you've never known before. There's two different responses to Peter and John's message. If you look with me in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, we read about those responses. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain in the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. There's the response for you. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming, and Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Don't miss verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Okay, that's just the men. Ladies and children, on top of that, the church is coming alive with the proclamation of the gospel. The disciples got together in the upper room. The 120 got together. They prayed for the Spirit to be poured out. It's the hour of prayer in this story. Guess what? The proclamation of the gospel goes forth. People's lives and hearts are being changed, and the church is coming alive. If this doesn't, like, get you excited a little bit, I would even if I want to do a spiritual pulse check. Like, man, this is fantastic. God is on the move. His gospel is proclaimed, proclaimed. The power of the Spirit is being present and felt during this time and this day and age. And people are believing by the thousands. But I want you to understand something. Here's my warning label for the book of Acts. With the proclamation of the gospel comes opposition.
We're not home. This isn't home. The evil one is powerful and he is present. And guess what? When we proclaim the word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ, we will face opposition. I sat with a believer the other day. We were just having a great conversation. He goes, Scott, I don't get it. With Jesus, there's just this abundant life that we get to have. There's this freedom we get to have. He, he makes the world make sense. He makes, he makes it all just like, oh, yeah, I get it. Why are people who profess to be so knowledgeable and so intellectual, like, against the gospel? Because their, their minds are dark. We see this beautiful statement here of of belief that thousands come to faith in Jesus Christ. The next day, Peter and John face this opposition. They're put on trial. And it's very interesting. They list all the names of these high priests and these religious leaders during this day. Again, remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus. And he is validating the account of not only what happened in Jesus Christ's life in the Gospel of Luke, but also in the life of the church in the book of Acts. And he's naming off these individuals, and he's saying, this person, this person, this person, and you know these names, Theophilus. They put Peter and John on trial for speaking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's at the heart of the message. Because if Jesus is still dead, according to 1 Corinthians, we should be the greatest of all people pitied. But Jesus isn't dead. He got up and he walked out of the grave. And that's the power of the gospel. He's alive. And so here on trial for sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name do you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, holy rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you that to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let me tell you something. This is such a beautiful passage of scripture because here they stand before the religious leaders. And, and hear the love that is flowing out of Peter and John in this moment. Because for them... Opposition equals opportunity for the gospel. They're not feeling sorry for themselves. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're proclaiming the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And they're saying to these religious leaders, you crucified Jesus, but guess what? You can be forgiven of even that and have life in him. Don't miss this opportunity. Here the ones Peter and John are on trial. But actually, after this statement, you're going, are they really on trial? They're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ so that these two may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Unfortunately, their response to the gospel is not faith but to rather threaten. It's very interesting in the text, if you go on reading there, it says that they were afraid of the people. So they didn't put them to death. They didn't beat them. They just threatened them. They threatened them and sent them away. I believe the pivotal portion of this text comes within the next verses. If you look here at verse 23 in chapter 4, what is the response of the apostles, Peter and John, when they faced opposition? And this I ask of you this morning. 
First, I ask you, are you sharing the gospel? Because I'm telling you what right now, if you're not facing any opposition, I would challenge you this morning, you're not sharing the gospel. If you're not getting pushback from friends, family members, peers, about who you are a believer as a believer in Jesus Christ, then are we truly speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I understand, we want to live it. We want our lives to be representative of the gospel. We do not want our lives to get in the way of the gospel message. But brothers and sisters, I've preached this before and I'll say it again, that if we do not speak the gospel, then we condemn people because without the speaking of the gospel, people think that it, well, the way to heaven is a life of good works. And we condemn people to hell. We have to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. We have to proclaim that he is the son of God. We have to proclaim that he came to this world to rescue and renew all of creation through his work, through what he accomplished. We have to speak it. And it's going to be scary and it's going to be challenging. But I promise you that the Holy Spirit is on standby to fill you up and give you the courage you need to share. But we're scared and I get it. I get scared. I'm so more, I'm more worried about, well, they're going to think I'm pushy. They're going to think that I'm just forming a relationship with them and, uh, and them to just so they'll come to my church or something like that. No, when we share the gospel, we do so with the attitude of even if they push back, even if they oppose, it's just going to present more opportunities to share with them and to show them I love them and walk alongside of them. We don't, we don't give up on people. Are you kidding me? The high priest who ordered the death of our Savior get opportunity after opportunity, after opportunity, because Paul's next in the shoot to believe. Opposition equals opportunity for the sharing of the gospel. We do not need to be afraid. When people push back against us, you're, that Jesus stuff, that's, that's for, not for me. Okay. I'm going to be right here walking alongside of you some more. And I'm not going to stop talking about my Jesus. Because my marriage works because of Jesus. It's imperfect. And I need Jesus' grace. This beautiful, wonderful opportunity we have to pray together at 6 p.m. is because of Jesus. The disciples, they come together, and when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Stretch your hand out your hand to heal, and the signs and wonders are performed throughout the name through the name of your holy servant Jesus. I want to pause there before reading that last verse. I want us to understand something about their prayer here. I want you to notice what their prayer had in it and what they didn't have in it. First, their prayer to God in the face of opposition shows that they understand that opposition is from whom? The hand of God. God, guess what? This opposition that we faced, 
You brought these peoples together to do this, to do your work, to do your hand, and so that the gospel might go forth and be proclaimed. Because guess what? Guess what is the igniting factor for the gospel to spread? Persecution and opposition. Without persecution and opposition, where does the gospel stay? Jerusalem, the temple. It stays right there. But because of persecution and opposition, the gospel goes boosh. Because you, God is in the business of using bad things for great things. That's our God. The evil one thinks, ha ha, I'm coming against the church to put the church down. I'm going to make people fear believing in God. And guess what happens? The church explodes. Guess the, the evil one, I think, has used his best tool in the tool bag against the church in America right now, and that's peace. In quotation marks. Easy living. A church that is accepted by society. And the church begins to adopt things it shouldn't adopt. The church begins to deny the, deny the authority of Scripture. The church begins to deny the Trinity. The church begins to do all these horrible things. It is in awe. <laughs> the refiner's fire. It is in opposition. It is under persecution. The church is purified and it explodes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you notice when you're under persecution and opposition, you're really not wondering, well, should the church be elder-led or should it be deacon-led or should it be a church council? Or should, like, are you kidding me? When people are dying for Jesus, all of a sudden it doesn't matter when we take the offering or how many songs we sing or how often we take communion. When people are dying for Jesus, all of a sudden it becomes about the gospel, the proclamation of who Jesus Christ is, and then he's saving people's souls because they may not be alive tomorrow. Church, we've lost focus. We're fuzzy. When we think about being the church, we're fuzzy. And we have forgot. I'm going to show you an illustration here that's going to blow your mind. I'm pretty sure most of you have never heard this illustration, and you're going to find, you're going to be like, what? Here, okay. But look at this. At the end of this chapter, before I go on, though, there's a couple things I want us to talk more about this. Listen, when they're praying, they're not asking to be removed from the opposition or persecution, are they? They're not saying, God, take me out of here. This is too hard. God, this is right where we're supposed to be. You've brought this so that we could proclaim your word. Strengthen us. They also don't play for a removal of the opposition. Did you notice that? There was plenty of psalms to choose from where David says, slaughter my enemies. But they're not praying for that. Rather, in verse 31, and when they had prayed, this place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they all filled, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness in the midst of opposition. Don't let me shrink back. Don't let me be afraid. I don't want to be a coward. I think of the good old John Wayne movies. If you called somebody yellow, you're going to get shot, right? Don't let me be yellow with the gospel, God. Let me be bold. Let me be loving. Let me be courageous in the face of opposition, in the face of sharing the gospel. I want to live it, and I want to proclaim it, and I want to do it so in a manner that is exciting for those who do not yet know, believe, and uniting for those who do believe. You see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the church is, is like something this morning. I, I got to watch in one of these, these, these little um, shows, reality shows, reality TV shows, about like really hot cars and, and doing crazy stuff. And Jim Connor 10, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's this guy who, who, who takes these cars, these souped up cars, and he does insane things with them. Like... You're going to crash your car. You're going to like, like and, and he just does these, he's able to control that vehicle with just precision. That he, does, he does this like fishtail thing through this opening where he's got a foot on either side. And he just takes his car and he swings it through there. I'm like, that's just insane. It's so cool though. I mean, I, I like souped up cars and all that stuff. That's fun. I'm going to say this morning, and you're, you're thinking I'm nuts. The church is like a performance engine. 
okay, and it's, I'm going to lose some of you here. Some of you are like, I don't care about cars. Hear me out. Just, just, just give, me, give me a little leeway here for a little bit, okay? If you've ever broken down a motor, there's a bunch of parts, and it's scary because they've all got to work together, go back together, and each part has a specific purpose to that performance of that engine running super well, a lot like the church, right? We each are given a gift by God. And then when we use that God to the fullest and completest of our abilities as God has given us, then we get to function very well as a church. But if somebody in the church decides that they really don't want to work well, imagine a piston that just stops running. I mean, you're, you're in trouble. That an engine's not going to last long. But we're not, a, we're not a moped engine. Okay? We're not a two-cylinder or four-cylinder. And for my, for my environmentalists here and my people here that really care about like gas guzzling motors, you know, Steve has got an electric car. This is going to hurt you, Steve. We are a big V8, V10 gas-sucking engine, okay? And, it, and it, it, it's loud when it goes by. It's like a Lamborghini when it's going down the street. Everybody's head goes, ooh, what went by, right? I mean, it's loud and it's obnoxious and it's a, it's a high-performance running engine. And, and what's crazy is, is when we think about this, an engine like that, is only running at its optimal performance is when it's being stressed to the max. It's pushing out torque and foot power. I mean, just tires are burning. There's a smoke cell. People are having to put gas masks on because there's smoke billowing from the tires, right? And it's like, whoo, this church, that, that, that engine's on fire. And it's like, brothers and sisters, that's what the church is supposed to be like. We're supposed to be turning heads. And we're supposed to be so reliant on the Holy Spirit. We should be like, Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Be bold and be courageous. And we're just sucking up the Holy Spirit like crazy. And he's igniting us. And the, the oil from which the word of God is saturating us is keeping us lubricated. We're going. Preach it. But for some reason, the church has decided we're a moped engine. And we're, right? And everybody's kind of going, and as he goes by, he's like, he's going to get there like two years later. And go back to Steve, for your sake, we're very good for the environment as a church body, and we're very good for our communities when we're running at optimal performance. Brothers and sisters, that's what God's calling us to be. So let's get it out of first gear. Let's go. God can still move through this church, and I believe as the days draw towards the end, God, his church is going to rise up. Let's rise up, church. Let's rise up with the boldness of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that means that you've got to be in relationships with people that don't know Jesus. Cindy Knight convicts the crud out of me every time we get together as a life group leader team. And she goes, what's your rhythm with non-believers? I'm like, I ain't got one. Well, who am I going to be bold to? Who is my regularly interacting with that I get to share the gospel? I get to live life with and share the gospel with and, 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 and get a little opposition from them. They're saying, hey, you know what? Why don't you just dial it down a little bit? Are you kidding me? I'm a, I'm a Lamborghini motor. You can dial it down a little bit. I'm part of this body of believers that's really excited about living the gospel and sharing the gospel in this community. Peter and John, that's what you see out of them right here. They're healing people. The lame are getting, getting up and walking to praise, and they're clinging to them as they're preaching the gospel. These wonderful things taking place. The highest of the high and the religious leaders are hearing the gospel once again. People are getting imprisoned, and it's only going to go more opposition from here. This is like, this is PG opposition here. X-rated, R-rated, I don't forget the X-rated, R-rated stuff is coming. When I say R-rated, and Dwight's going to share with you a little bit of what Stoney's like. That's coming. Brothers and sisters, Peter said, none of you have resisted to the point of bloodshed. And I'm pretty sure none of us in this body of believers have been put to that hazard for the gospel. Then what are we afraid of? Our reputation? What somebody might think of us? God's got a plan for this church body, and it's exciting. 
I've been meeting with elders weekly, as we talk about it. They are getting so excited to lead you further in the book of Acts. And this is going to be, I think this is a turning point for Livingstone Church. I really honestly believe it, that when we're going to come out of Acts and roll right into the resurrection celebration, things are going to be fun. Because we are excited to know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and he has changed our lives. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you have made us to not be cold, timid Christians, but people that are alive, that are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that we get to do this together, that Lord God, we can't, we can't be that motor without each other. And we can't even run without the Holy Spirit, the truth of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for redeeming us, for rescuing us, for renewing us by the power of God and changing our lives. Thank you for convicting us this morning, Lord God. I mean, I know people in here, we're going to want to push back a little bit. It's going to get a little scary. Because to, to live this way means to go all in. And we're not sure we want to do that. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would convict us, Lord. You would challenge us and we would exhort each other, encourage each other. That we could do this together. That you don't, we're not going to do this alone individually. But as a group of believers live this way. Lord as our kids come back up. Lord I just pray that you would touch their hearts and their lives. That they would grow up knowing that to be a Christian. Is to live and to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. To their not yet believing friends. I know sometimes our kids have way more courage than we do in this area. And Lord, I pray that we would have their kind of faith and their kind of boldness. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel and how it is continuing to change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Um, like we said before, um, we've moved, Glenn said it earlier, that we move our, our time, our, our God story time to after the sermon so our kids can come up here. So we're going to, I'm going to stall for just a second. Um, you know, someone shared with me this week, you know, this, this praying at 6 p.m. for the spirit to move and fill us. The proclamation of the gospel is scary. And I really appreciated their confession. And their statement to me was, I'm not really sure. I want this. And I meant, I get it. There, there is some uncertainty. Some, some, it kind of feels like we're stepping out onto to some shaky ground a little bit on, on some little sand in this area. Because to go like this and to be moved like this and to share like this means that we are moved past our control. And we've moved past, like, I, I, can, I can handle this situation. We're going to be completely reliant on God. But that's exactly where Peter and John are. Peter and John are standing in trial, and it says they were filled with the Spirit. And I want us to know that. I want us as a church body, because what's, what's going to be amazing, as you face opposition and the Spirit feels you to speak into those moments lovingly with compassion, but filled with the gospel, your life is going to be changed forever. And you're going to want to keep going and keep sharing. And you're going to want to share that with other believers. And it's going to get exciting. So this morning, I would challenge you that we're at the end of the service, we're going to have a prayer time. If you're scared this morning, and if you, you're like, I'm scared to like really want to live this way and, and be exposed like this, I want you to come forward for prayer. The elders, we want to lay hands on you and pray for you and encourage you this morning. That the Spirit of God may move within you and give you courage to live this way.
But another way we gain courage is through our God story time. So our kids are coming in right now, and we're going to start it off with our dear brother John. He's got a great, great God sighting for us, great God story for us this week. And he's going to start us off with sharing this morning. Morning. Um, God and engines, does it get any better? Um, great message. I, uh, I just, I got to start by saying uh, thank you for, for praying for Amy and I this week. Those of you who know what we've been up to, we moved my mother, we moved my mother who has Alzheimer's from the west side over to East Wenatchee on Monday. And we weren't here last Sunday as we went over to prepare for that. And as we've been preparing for that in the weeks preceding, praying and asking for God's confirmation on um, that this was the right thing to do with my mom. Part of a brief history, um, and if any of you have loved ones who uh, have dementia and, and that type of uh, thing going on, cognitive problems, it's a challenge because you lose the ability to reason with them. And so at any moment, things can take a 180-degree turn from where they were previously. And, and we face that with, I'm sorry, we face that with my mom in past moves. And it's, it's been very arduous and stressful for me and, um, and for other members of my family. So here we are moving mom yet again, praying about it. God just really opening the doors. Everything's right. We can trust him. God is, his steadfast love endures forever. It overshadows every aspect of our lives. I know that. In my heart and in my mind, I know that. And I was challenged and I struggled with holding on to it through that whole situation, especially as we got closer to the day of moving her. And we did everything we could to prepare. And I even brought cargo straps if I needed to strap mom in to the seat. <laughs> um, my mom, we arrived at the facility to pick her up, and she was in one of the highest functioning, most cognitive states of mind she has been in in quite a while. And we packed her up to bring her over, and she was excited. She was happy. She had a great time the entire trip over. Everything went flawlessly. Praise God. I was challenged, and I struggled because I believed in what I knew God would do, and yet I had that uncertainty and that doubt that was there from the past, and I couldn't get around it. And... Uh, it's amazing because like a spring wound tight, we got her over there and the relief was so immense. I took off to take care of some errands, forgot some other things, found myself driving around Wenatchee and realizing I'm accomplishing nothing and uh, went back, settled myself. Thank God it was just such an amazing relief that things had gone so well. And God showed me a lot about myself and about trusting him in the challenges and in the trials. And with boldness to live life and not hold on to those things of the past, but to continue to press on, hoping in God and trusting him that he is working in our lives. And he wants to use each one of these situations to grow me, to grow us in our deeper levels of trust and faith in him and to see the Holy Spirit working in him. Last little snippet. I had some clothes to return to J.C. Penney for we'd picked up some new clothing for mom. Amy stayed in the car. I ran in. The return desk is right there, or the counter is right there at the front door. There's a cashier on my left and a security guard on my right, big burly tattooed guy. And uh, the cashier was awesome, nice and friendly, helping me. And they're talking about New Year's resolutions. And he's telling me, and I won't use his colorful language, but the character of person he is and his resolution is he will continue being that person. 
And as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, God, I've just been through all this stuff, and I know and I see God in the day and the events, and I just want to praise him. And I'm asking God, do, do you want me to say something? What is it that you want me to say to this man? What can I say? And in this environment where people are coming in and out of the door, and God, if you don't want me to say anything, that's fine too. I'll turn around and walk out. And right at the last minute, the moment, God just says, share with him something about your life. So I did. And it came around to God knows my name. He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows us. But do we know his name? Did the most important question, the most important decision that we make in our lives is who is Jesus? And, and that formulates that belief and, and transforms our lives. And just sharing that. And it's kind of like one of those things where you're talking and it's like, oh, that's the last word I had to say. I guess I'm done. It wasn't about, about coming to a point of now let's pray together. It was am I planting a seed or am I watering a seed that's already been planted and there's someone else in this man's life who's going to get the opportunity to reap what others have been sowing. And I think that's just what we're called to. And I walked out. I was ecstatic. God gave me an opportunity to praise him in the day. So thank you for your prayer. It's always nerve-wracking getting up here because I'm one of those timid people, sort of. <laughs> but um, I just felt really led to share this um, with you guys. But So probably the past 10 months or so, I've just really um, been struggling with a lot of things. But mainly it's been about change. So, I mean, there's, there's all this change going on where I work. There's change going on in my home as these two girls are going off to college soon, which I'm really excited about. Um, there was change in young life, which I'm so passionate about, kids. And there's change going on in the church. So I feel like my whole life has been about change. And um, last week I, ha I had this conversation with a friend and shared a little bit. And... One of the things he said to me that just, I mean, I'd heard this before a million times, but I was just so convicted, um, was that um, uh, growth does not happen without change. Growth does not happen without getting uncomfortable. S and that just really convicted me again is that man it's, we have Jesus it's okay to be uncomfortable because eventually we'll be comfortable but for a while we have to get uncomfortable and that just really that's all I wanted to share anyway it was it's been a good week God is definitely working Many of you know my wife's been in the hospital now for 18 months, well, a year and a half, not quite 18 months. And I'm going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I got to thinking a few months back, what is my path? I've got to have something to focus on. And a couple of months back, Cindy Knight came in and said, Don, you need to get involved with this new program at the school. It's called the Grandpa Program. Oh, boy. For some reason, I have started doing that, and I'm thinking that maybe I can do some, some good with the elementary kids. I'm scared of little kids, but maybe I can, I can handle it. Well, a couple of days ago, I was out at Walmart doing a little shopping. When I came out, there was this note underneath my windshield, opened up, and it was written in block printing, very sloppy. A little child had written a note. I was throwing a rock and I hit your car. I'm sorry. Contact me ASAP. Here's my phone number. 
My name is Madison. I called those phone numbers. They were not cracked. My goal is to find this Madison, put my arms around her and say, that is wonderful that you have this responsibility encouraged to come forward for your actions. So my goal now is to find Madison. my daily work at the elementary school, I come in contact with two young gentlemen that absolutely make my day every day, and that's Caden and Casey. When they see me, they run up and hug me, and I know that we're all connected through Jesus, and they make my day every day. So over a year ago, I, um, I went to the doctor because it had been a year. I'd been struggling with a cough, and um, I go to the doctor and um, come to find out I had asthma. Well, just this last Tuesday, for, for over a year, I've, I've struggled. I've been to the hospital. I've prayed. I've, I've, I admit I have doubted God. On Tuesday, I went to the pulmonologist, and he said that he is absolutely certain that since my husband and I have moved, that my asthma is on the mend. I'm within a month, within two months, he thinks that my asthma is going to be completely gone. 